Please open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verses 21 to 33. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as a church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Verse 29, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. That is the word of the Lord. You may take your seats. Welcome, everyone, to our worship gathering this morning. We're going to be talking about marriage in light of life together in this series uh, that we're going to be having for the next three weeks. Let's focus on this one aspect, which is husbands and wives. You know, in the ancient world, during uh, the time of Alexander the Great, when they have conquered the known world, they have they had this emphasis on three household codes, husband and wives, parents and children, and masters and bond servants. We're going to be focusing today in this household code, uh, code called marriage, husbands and wives. Talking about Alexander the Great, before he has done what he did, there was this, the, the oldest philosopher in, in Greece, in Athens, by the name of Socrates, and this is what he said regarding marriage. By all means, get married. This is what he said to the young men during that time. If you get a good wife, you'll be happy. But if you get a bad one, you will become a philosopher. That's a Socrates. In fact, he had the audacity to argue that an, in an ideal society, marriage would be abandoned. Yes, that's what he said. He said in an ideal society, it won't work. But let us see how this marriage had worked. And we all know right after him, he discipled uh, Plato, and Plato discipled Aristotle. And from there, uh, we all know that, uh, uh, that Alexander the Great was trained by Aristotle. And so he went, as a young boy, when, he, when his father died, when he took over uh, the, the Greek empire, he has brought with him, uh, uh, he had brought with him um, all the, all the uh, philosoph philosophies that he had learned 
from, uh, from uh, way back when he was growing up. And so that has been the background. While, while Alexander the Great was busy Hellenizing the world, then came an apostle by the name of Paul, who then came and Christianized the world through the gospel. And what had happened here when, when Alexander's, Alexander's the, uh, Alexander the Great's culture and the culture, the biblical culture, collided, I want us to find out what happened. That's the passage we're in today. He has written one of the epistles, and it was designed for the people in Ephesus. And we're going to look at that right now and jump into it. I understand some of us, we had the time to go and ask some questions via online, some of the issues that we are facing today. But uh, I'd like us to know that the Bible has something to say about those uh, areas and aspects. It may not be that specific, but the Bible has enough uh, principles in it to be able to address some of the issues we're facing today as far as marriage is concerned. And so we're going to get into that right now. And, and uh, uh, once again, the, the kind of culture that Alexander uh, imposed to these nations has something to do with uh, degrading women. The way uh, Socrates had mentioned about marriage, that is the tone of voice as far as the Greek culture is concerned. Now, not all cities and provinces in Greece had that same mindset. Sparta, for example, is in an egalitarian culture. In fact, I think two-thirds of the land in Sparta uh, was owned by women. Uh, not only that, they made a study during that time of, of the culture in Egypt. Egypt had the same egalitarian um, uh, culture. But there's something about Athens, where these philosophers came from. <laughs> and obviously, as I've said, Aristotle had trained Alexander the Great, so he had brought with him that same sentiment against marriage, against women, and the superiority of men. Let us see how Paul addressed this through his letters. And without studying some of the words, we would get confused even more with some of the words used in, in this letter. So we're going to go through that right now. There are three key words that I'd like us to uh, deep dive into in order for us to be able to have a proper understanding of this text that we have just read today. Ephesians Chapter 5, starting in verse 21 up to verse 33. And we're going to go through that. And there are three words I'd like us to focus on. The first one is the word head. I want to read that passage right now. And it says, the word head, here, verse 23, it says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and his himself, its Savior. The word head was mentioned here. But if you look deeper into this, I don't usually use Greek words in my sermons. Uh, I'm not in the habit of using Greek words. Uh, but uh, let me just describe these Greek words that have been used. Specifically in this passage of Scripture, uh, there's a specific 
uh, Greek word that Apostle Paul used. Now, before we move on into this thing, let me, let me give you a little bit of a background about Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul was aware of the translation of the Old Testament written in Hebrew, translated to Greek because of the popular language during that time and during the time of Alexander the Great, he had imposed not just culture, but even language. And so we see here uh, that they're tr- almost like trying to erase Hebrew language and replacing it with Greek. Let me just say Greek, but actually it's Koine, Koine Greek. It's a, it's a most a more well-known translation of Greek, not classical, but it's more of a people's language, Koine Greek. And the New Testament was written in Koine Greek. And so in order for the Jewish people to understand the Old Testament, some of the Jewish folks had translated the Old Testament to Greek. And that's what we call Septuagint. All right? And translating from Hebrew to Septuagint, which is in Greek, there are some words that, be, that have been carefully translated into Greek because, that, because Greek is more, is more robust in, in words, uh, in applying some of those words. Hebrew words are kind of limited. The same way with English language. Sometimes English is very limited. And whether, uh, whether and sometimes... Uh, uh, it would take uh, um, a robust language like Koine in order to really uh, uh, draw out the real meaning of a word in Hebrew. And it has done in Septuagint, and Apostle Paul was really concerned about the usage of those words. So when he wrote this letter, he was meticulously, deliberately using the right Koine Greek in order to emphasize the meaning of the passage of a scripture. Now, the problem is when we translate it to English, we now go back to the same sentiment of what Alexander the Great had brought. <laughs> and, so, and so now we're back to, when, when you translate it to, uh, to English, it's like as if we're back to during the time of Alexander the Great instead of, embracing the real meaning of what Apostle Paul had truly written. So today, this morning, we are going to attempt to delve into this three simple keywords, and yet it made our interpretation really hard, and we're going to go through that right now. So the word head had two Greek words, and the first one has something to do with ruler, or leader, and the other one has something to do with the physical head, or the, uh, it's a military term being used, which is a point person, or the point man who would go first to the battlefield. That's the other meaning of this Greek word, while this one is obviously just a leader or ruler, but this one is something to do with the physical head. The same way with this, but this is more ruler or, or, or leader. But this one is someone who would go first as far as the front of the war at the front lines. 
a person who would go first. It's like in a formation, it's like you're lining up going to a grocery. It's like the husband will be first and the, and the wife will be at the back, lining up, all right? That's the same way here. It says the head of the wife, all right? It's almost like in a formation, he's the first man. And so having said that, if we look back once again into this passage, chapter 5, verse 23, it says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. The difference was obvious to Paul as far as the st- these two words in Greek are concerned. He decided to use this Greek word, the second one, rather than rulership, he used this translation that connoted a man that is first on line. It's almost like man first at the front line. I remember that movie, Glory. If you remember that movie, these men led by Broderick came together the night before they'll be sent to the front lines. They all knew these slaves that have been freed. They're supposed to go back to their families, but they have decided to join the war and fight against their enemies. And they joined up with this white uh, guy leading them, but the night before, they first came together in a Bible study, and they started singing. I don't have to sing right now, but they started singing. Mm-hmm. They started singing. And they had Bible in their hands. And then they started singing that, Lord, we might not come back alive tomorrow. But one thing is for sure. To that effect, they're saying, we're enjoying our freedom and we're giving it everything we've got. Why? Because they all knew that as they'll be sent to the front lines the next day, they won't be coming back anymore. That's what that Greek word is all about when he says, husband, verse 23, is the head of the wife. The husband will be sent off to the front line first. Now, having said that, the next word I'd like us to study is the word submit. Now, we see here in verse 25, uh, 20, um, 23, wives Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And then he says basically what we said, for the husband is the head of the, uh, of the, of the, uh, of the wife. Now it makes sense. But the word submit here was not translated properly. In the real Greek, in Koine Greek, the word used here, that several meanings... Uh, once again, um, uh, that, that had been used here, uh, several words, but the word used specifically by Apostle Paul had something to do with a voluntary getting oneself, getting oneself at the disposition of. That's the Greek word that he used. But in the English language, uh, in other translation, to be subject to, or in ESV, submit. Or to be subject to as if 
if you think about the word submit or to be subject to, it's almost like there's a ruler and all the subjects are supposed to obey the ruler. Now, it would make sense if the definition that Apostle Paul used first as far as the word head is ruler, but he didn't use that. He used the word head, which means the military person being sent off to the front lines and he might not come back alive anymore. In other words, he's going to lay down his life as the spearhead, as the point man. But for the person to be in subject to a ruler, it makes sense. But really, since it is not about the ruler, then it doesn't make, it doesn't make sense. What then was the word used? It has something to do with Apostle Paul using a passive middle voice in Greek rather than in an active voice which has something to do with uh, teaching or being taught. What he's saying is, why don't you learn for yourself? In other words, volunteer yourself. Actively, willingly, and learn for yourself how to put yourself at the disposition of someone. Or be supportive of. That's the word that has been used here in the Greek. For lack of words, the translators use the word submit that easily. So when you read submit, that's it. So all throughout these centuries, men had been requiring their wives to submit. But in Apostle Paul's language in the Greek, it has something to do with to be supportive of. That's amazing. That's, that's the description, that's the translation of this passage, not only found in verse 22, but found in verse 24. I want to look at that right now, chapter 5, 24, and it says this. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to everything to their husbands. Just as the church is in supportive of Christ. So as wives should be in supportive of their husbands. Now, it's just amazing that all of this word, all of these verses, these two verses, 22 and 24, is hinged, they are hinged in verse 21. We're going to look at verse 21 right now, and it says this. Submitting to one another out of reverence, for Christ. The wives getting themselves in supportive of has something to do with the implication of the gospel. And we're going to talk more about that in a little while. But it is something to do with supporting one another. That's why I like the title we have today, Life Together. Life Together. It's in perspective of a community. And as we move on, we're going to uh, go, I'm going to go back, try to go back to that later. But I want to look at the third 
key word in this passage that I'd like us to, uh, as we bring this to conclusion, the word love. Let's look at verse 25 right now. Verse 25, husbands, I'm going to go through that up to verse 33 right now. The word uh, love was mentioned several times in this passage. And verse 25, it says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water in the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Now let me pause for a while. Let me try to define love right now according to this uh, passage of the scripture, because we all know in the Greek, once again, it has so many meanings as far as the word love is concerned in English, don't have much to say about the word love. In Greek, in Koine Greek, there's that word erao, which has something to do uh, with having sexual desire and passion, or eros. The other one is phileo, which has something to do with feeling of fondness or friendship or deep liking, all right? So when you like somebody on Facebook, <laughs> it's almost like phileo, all right? Are we friends? <laughs> Unless you unfriend them, okay? You, you don't have phileo anymore. But the other one, which is really the most famous of all the definition or, or a term of love in Greek is agapao, which is been well known all throughout as agape. Uh, once again, this is a sacrificial kind of love. And he basically, Apostle Paul really defined it as he was uh, mentioning the word love here. If we're going to go visit verse 25, it says, Husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church. How, how did Christ do that? Because you have to understand... To whom were we um, see, see the standard as far as love is concerned? Should we go back to the understanding of the Jews about love? Should we go back to the understanding of Socrates or Plato or Aristotle as far as love is concerned? To whom will we bounce this word love to? Is it to the ancient Greeks? Apostle Paul decided... He's going to bounce this back through the cross. And this is what he said. And, and just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And that's, that's the Greek word that Apostle Paul used with as a sacrificial kind of love. Laying down your life, which has almost like something to do with the word uh, head. In other words, a person who would go first to the front line, sacrificing his life. The same way with the word love. And so having said that, uh, love meaning then being responsive to the needs of others. That would be the expanded definition of the word love. If submit has something to do with being supportive of the husband the wife being supportive of the husband, then love is being responsive to the needs of my wife. Now that is what love is all about. 
And that's the kind of definition Apostle Paul was trying to establish in this household code. As I've said, there are three household codes in the Greek culture. And Apostle Paul picked it up, picked this up, these household codes. And we're going to uh, go through it for the next three weeks. But we're focused on this one right now, husbands and wives. And, and we're seeing here about love, which is sacrificial which is being responsive to the needs of your partner, husband to the wife. That's what love is. And as we move on, verse 28, I want to look at verse 28. And it says here, In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. Now, why is Apostle Paul trying to say, Hey, love your wife the way you love your bodies. You know why? Because once again, Aristotle had this wrong mindset and he's saying that your relationship with your wife is like your soul to your physical body. In other words, your soul is dictating on your physical body and so a husband is like the soul of the wife and so a husband should be dictating on the wife. As Apostle Paul says, well, guess what? Even, even you men take care of your bodies. And he even says here, not only that, it says here in verse 20, uh, 28, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Oh yeah, that's what you meant by, that's what you mean by uh, relating to your spouse like soul to a physical body, well, guess what? You too are nourishing and taking care of your bodies as your own flesh. Why don't you do that? Because that's what Christ has been doing so far to his church. Amazing, um, amazing turnaround only because of the gospel. I, you know, would it be, would you say it was an accident? That of all the philosophers, I mean, the Greek philosophers had influenced even the Jewish mindset. And the, and, the, and the author of commentaries, Jewish commentaries, had been influenced by the Greek culture. That the way they would interpret the Old Testament is already been twisted. That's why one of the prayers of the Jewish people, when they wake up in the morning, they would pray, Lord... Thank you that I'm not a Gentile, I'm not a woman, and I'm not a bastard. Women are categorized with Gentiles and bastards. That's how much the Greek had influenced the Jews, but not all Jews were influenced by the Greeks. We have one remaining person by the name of Gamaliel, and guess who, dis who discipled Apostle Paul? <laughs> Gamaliel. Thank God that when Apostle Paul heard the gospel, being discipled by Gamaliel, he knew, looking at the Septuagint, looking at the Old Testament, he knew then how to respond against the tidal wave of the Greek culture to the Christian world. Thank God for Apostle Paul for writing these letters, letters that is so revolutionary why do you think it was so revolutionary? Because it speaks of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
as we end today, we could probably read the passage we have read this morning differently. I'll try to take the time to read it. And it says, the, and, and adding all up, all the things that we have learned today, those three words, let me, uh, let me change the, the usual words within these words that, I, that we have talked about today. And probably when we read Ephesians chapter 5, 21 to 33, probably we go this way. Let me read it for us. Be supportive of one another, wives. Be supportive of your husband as of the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife. That is, going ahead of her in the same way as Christ is the head of the church by being savior of the body. But as the church is supportive of Christ, so let wives be supportive of their husbands in everything. Husbands, be responsive to the needs of your wives as Christ has been to the church and gave himself up for her in order that he might make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of the water with the word that he might present the church to himself in all glory without spot and wrinkle or any such thing. That she should be holy and unblemished. So husbands ought also to respond to the needs of their wives just as their own bodies. He who responds to the needs of his own wife is responding to his own needs. For no man ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined up to his wife, and the two shall become one. This mystery is great, but I say it in reference to Christ and the church. However... Let each and every one of you respond to the needs of your wives as to his own needs and let the wife see that she respects her husband. What a powerful implication of the gospel. Because of the gospel, we can do this. Going back to what Socrates mentioned a while ago that Marriage will become irrelevant in ideal society. Well, there was a story of Diedrich Bonhoeffer, uh, and it has something to do with marriage, since uh, we've already talked about Socrates having a disdain towards women and towards marriage. But I'd like us to look at how Diedrich Bonhoeffer looked at the perspective of marriage. And one day his sister was about to get married, but Diedrich Bonhoeffer was in prison. During the, during the Nazi regime. And obviously we knew the story the few weeks after that, uh, you know, Nazi was, uh, they stopped their, uh, their control over Europe. But, you know, he was eventually uh, was murdered. But the point was he couldn't attend the wedding of his sister. And so the sister asked him if he could officiate the wedding. But instead of him being able to do that, he just wrote, a letter and an excerpt from that letter I'd like to read it for us today if you allow me this is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote regarding marriage to his sister and let me read it right now this is what he says marriage is more than your love for each other it has a higher dignity and power for it is God's holy ordinance through which he wills to perpetuate the human race till the end of time if your love, in your love, you see only your two selves in the world. But in marriage, 
You are a link in the chain of the generation which God causes to come and bypass uh, the, uh, and to pass away to his glory and calls into his kingdom. In your love, you see only heaven in your own happiness. But in marriage, you are placed at a post of responsibility towards the world and mankind. Your love is your own private possession. But in marriage, it's more than something personal. It is a status, an office. Just it is just as it is the crown and not merely the will to rule that makes the king, so it is marriage, not merely your love for each other that joins you together in the sight of God and man. As high as God is above man, so high are the sanctity and the rights and the promise of marriage above the sanctity and the rights and the promise of love. It is not your love that sustains marriage. But from now on, the marriage that sustains your love. Now that is the heart of Bonhoeffer's understanding of marriage and love. Uh, and, and, that's what, and it has something to do with the word covenant. And that's what we're after. That this is more than just two people coming together, but it is within the purview of God himself who invented marriage as a gift to mankind in a form and, and human beings coming together in a form of a covenant called marriage. And in order for that to work, let's go back to the gospel. Let's go back to God because he has a manual for it. Let me end with this word. The God who invented and gave marriage to mankind has a handbook to make it work. Christ defines its use in the gospel. May this message inspire us today to continue on even as we form families and so therefore form communities and advance His kingdom in this world. God bless you.